Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in Psychedelic Salon 2.0. And today, Lex Pelger is bringing us an interview with a truly fascinating man, Ben Stewart. Now, since I was over 40 years old before my first psychedelic experience, I'm not really a very good reference for giving any advice about the age at which it is safe for young people to begin using these powerful substances. In the case of cannabis, I think that uh, probably Dr. McNutt in the UK gives the best advice, saying that since the human brain isn't completely formed until a person is around 21 years old, people younger than 21 should avoid using cannabis. However, I don't recall him making a similar statement about psychedelics, although my guess is that he would probably offer about the same advice as he does for cannabis. Nonetheless, in some societies, Young people are still taken through psychedelic experiences at uh, several points in their lives, one being when they reach the age of puberty. But I've always wondered if uh, in the Western society, where we don't have the centuries of tradition regarding these medicines, I wonder if young people would come through a powerful psychedelic experience without being damaged in some way. So it was very refreshing and quite informative to learn that Lex's guest today, Ben Stewart, who has already achieved more success in life than most people his age, well, he had his first psychedelic experience when he was 14 years old. I, for one, would like to hear more about that first experience. Hopefully, Lex will have him back in the salon one day to tell us more. But for now, let's listen to Ben telling Lex about his interesting journey from this first psychedelic experience to where he is today. This is a no-nonsense production. If you like what you hear and want to help us make the Salon 2.0 bigger and better, sign up to support this work monthly on patreon.com. As a two-person production, any help goes a long way. Join us at patreon.com slash no-nonsense. I'm Lex Pelger, and this is a Psychedelic Salon 2.0. This week, I'm very happy to introduce a show recorded in my living room with the filmmaker and thinker Ben Stewart. In this episode, once in a while, you might be able to hear his little girl wander in and out of the room or head upstairs to bang on the drums. To me, that's always a key ingredient for a perfect interview. Ben produces films, including the feature-length pieces The Esoteric Agenda and Chimatica. On the Gaia Network online, he hosts the Waking Infinity series, which covers topics from plant medicines to alchemy to Burning Man and more. He also knows his way around conspiracy theories. I enjoy watching his interviews, and so for today, it's nice to turn the tables and let him field the questions. Also, I've been listening to your feedback. I hear that some people aren't tickled by Lorenzo's Gore Vidal speech or my recent bloody podcast on war. But I believe that psychedelics are much bigger than the class of molecules we call tryptamines. It all ties into a matrix that goes from heroin to hermeticism. And somehow, when you look close enough, it feels like everything is psychedelic. 
For the next few weeks, I've got some good episodes lined up, and they are primarily focused on psychedelics. So keep that feedback coming. Any flavor, we're listening. And if you have anyone you think I should talk to, let me know at pelger at gmail.com. Now, here's Ben Stewart. This is the Psychedelic Salon 2.0, and I am here with Ben Stewart of Gaia, who is doing original content for them. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lex. Yeah, thanks for coming in and sitting on my floor. For everybody listening out here, if you hear a really adorable sounding little girl playing instruments in the background, you are lucky. She's wonderful. Uh, so yeah, thanks for coming by today. Uh, I was wondering if you could just tell us uh, initially about Gaia and what they do. Yeah, Gaia, um, I mean, Gaia's been around for a while, but you would know them more as Gaiam. So Gaiam makes yoga mats, all yoga product lines. So since the late 80s, uh, with Rodney Yee, the, the, the long-haired ponytail guy on the beach doing yoga, um, that's, all, that's all Gaiam. So just a few years ago, Gaiam split off from their uh, media, conscious media content. So the media side became Gaia. And basically, they, they were mainly just licensing conscious media in three categories, yoga, seeking truth, and transformation. Seeking truth is where you find like conspiracy and whistleblowers, cover-ups. Yoga is obvious, and transformation is like for the expansion of consciousness or um, stepping into your role and your purpose. Uh, so anything that falls into those categories. And now that they've split off from Gaiam, they're really uh, expanding, and so they were bringing in more people to create original content because they do have their own original content, but it's it's also there. There's only three or four producers there that were producing some of that stuff. So for me, how I kind of got into that was uh, I was licensing a lot of my material to them. I had made three films in the past. One is Esoteric Agenda, another is Chimatica, and the third one was on Grip. And then uh, a few years later, I started working on a show called Waking Infinity, and Gaia kept coming to me asking to license that, and I, I gave them permission to, to distribute digitally all of my material. So then they asked me to come out. If you know George Nuri, if you've ever heard of um, uh, Coast to Coast AM, it's this late-night AM show, uh, conspiracy all the way to alien abductions and, and whatever you want to talk about, the, the fringe stuff. And he has a show on Gaia, and they brought me on to be hosted. Or they, they brought me on, uh, and the host, George Nuri, was asking me questions about what I do and everything. And then eventually, I had an interview uh, or a meeting right afterwards with the CEO of Gaia. And he asked me what my plans were, what, I'm, what my intentions are. And he was gauging whether I was in the space, and what they call the space is the right heart space, the right head space, and wanting to do the right thing for the world and for humanity. And then he offered me a production job. So that's what, that's what landed me here in Boulder, Colorado. I was just living basically a vagabond for the past 10 years. I was in a professional music group before that called Hyrosonic. And then, then I started doing independent films on the side. And then that grew bigger than the band. Uh, and then I just started bouncing around the world. I met uh, my, my now wife, who's Dutch in Holland. I was doing a talk out there. Uh, we had a kid, so we were just kind of floating around for a while, and then all of a sudden this Gaia thing came up, and now we're all together here in Boulder uh, meeting really cool people in the community. And so, so yeah, that's, that's the story how I landed at Gaia, what Gaia is about, and, um, and the trajectory ever forward. <laughs> ever forward. 
Uh, and can you tell me a little bit more about those first three films and how they came about? Sure. So, um, so Esoteric Agenda was the first one. Um, that was 2008. And basically, I, I was just out of the military. I was in the Air Force for six years. And while I was in the military, my band was really taken off. We were on Lollapalooza. We were playing with Jane's Addiction, Three Doors Down, The Use, Fuel, Filter, some amazing bands. And people were constantly asking me what the lyrics were about because I was writing the lyrics and uh, one of the primary songwriters as well. So they were, they were always asking me, what are the lyrics about? We can tell it's, it's something profound, but you keep it kind of cryptic. What's it about? So... In true artist fashion, I didn't just tell them. I made a piece of art. I made a film about it. And I'd never done film before, but I was inspired by this film, Zeitgeist. Uh, and the main reason I was inspired by Zeitgeist was because it was free online and it was anonymous at first. And to me, that was like the best way to show authenticity. So like it was just free to the world I don't want anything from you. I don't want your money. I don't want your adoration. I just want you to wake up. I, I just really want this message to get through. And I thought that was brilliant. So I decided, you know what? That's exactly the next step for me. I need to make a film that's free. I didn't make it anonymous. Well, I did it first, made it, make it anonymous. But then people were able to email me and ask if I could be on interviews. And it, it shortly after came out. And so that film... It was mainly about conspiracy at first. I was I was all into conspiracy, um, but I was into the the distortion of time from the lunar calendar to the Gregorian um, to uh, specific dates that wars were launched on and and the uh, the parallels how they're congruent with pagan uh, holidays. I guess you would call it pagan ceremonial days. And so uh, by the end of it, it was just stream of consciousness. I'd never worked on film before, never made a demo reel. I just had a $2,000 laptop and cracked uh, Final Cut Express and Adobe After Effects. And I just started making my own stuff. And this was before YouTube, so I was putting it up on Google Videos. And uh, people started connecting with me. When are you going to finish your film? And I was thinking, is this a film? It's just kind of a stream of consciousness in 15-minute chunks. But I decided to put a definitive end on it. But once I realized I was about to make a film... I realized I don't want to make it, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist filmmaker so I had to put some kind of an end on there that was like a twist ending so then I really got into consciousness and the power of one human being and you know uh what your intentions are what your focus is and what you can leverage uh, as far as doing something good for the world so that was the end of that film and as soon as that came out, I got all these emails of people saying, like, you know, I love the ending of the film, but the whole beginning of it, it I, I feel scared. I don't know what to do. And so I, I was trying to coach them through it. Like, listen, you know, I know the, the end was only 15 minutes and all the scary stuff was an hour and 45, but uh, it's really powerful. And they're like, are you going to do another film? And that was about the time where I was realizing, because there was people saying, like, I quit my job and I... I uh, left my family and I, I ran off to this cabin in the woods and I was like, please think again about what you just did and please don't say you did it because of me because the, obviously the next step is I need to make a film all about personal responsibility and understanding first before the scary stuff how powerful we are, how powerful the subconscious is, how powerful collective consciousness is and how groups think together when, you know, how scary things can get when you're just watching everybody else kind of freak out around you. So 
the second film was Chimatica, and I made that in 2009. And I just banged that out real quick. It was, it was like a download. It was just flowing through me. I almost can't take credit for it because I, I don't know where it came from. Uh, all the research just clicked together, and then bam, it came out as a film. Uh, I decided, I was like, you know what, I'm going to put it up for a, a film festival, New York Independent Film Festival, and it won Best Scientific uh, Film. And then I started getting a ton of... Uh, offers to go around the world and do talks. So I was going to Australia at least once a year, up to Canada. Strangely, not so much around the States. A lot in Europe, and that was eventually when I did a three-month tour in Europe. That was when I, I went to Holland and met my um, my future wife, which is now my wife. And, um, and then from that point, I met this guy who lives up in Canada who was sovereign. Um, he was basically, he gave back his driver's license, all of his documentation that had his name in all capital le uh, letters um, showing that he was basically like a corporation underneath the larger corporation of Canada, which is actually uh, underneath a larger corporation that is the United States, um, strangely, at least when, it's, uh, you know, when you look on the books. Um, so I interviewed this guy. I went up to his place in northern uh, Canada, in Alberta, actually, um, and he has an earth ship. He quit his job. He moved off onto this uh, piece of property, he sold off his house, and he and his family built their home together. And now they're raising all their own food, uh, treating all their own water, basically um, completely self-sufficient. All their own energy comes from the solar panels on the roof. And he was walking the walk. So that was when I decided I want to stop giving so much of my opinion and my voice, and I want to highlight somebody who's actually doing it and living it. So I did. That uh, That really reached a niche market. And then shortly thereafter, David Icke was putting on this uh, The People's Voice TV as a TV network. And he asked if I would want to add a show to it. So I started making 30-minute episodes on this show called Waking Infinity, which we just found out you've seen episode four of. Yes. Uh, Soon everyone uh, here, you'll be able to hear Sergei Baranov, who is a really fascinating character. And some of my research was being able to watch this excellent episode that you put together about him that uh, all of us will be able to hear now. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was very um, – it was very nice to meet Sergey. It just came up out of the blue when I was down in Peru, down in the sacred, uh, uh, the sacred valley uh, around Pisac, and um, yeah, we did. Uh, he did a ceremony for us with uh, Wachuma. Um, completely kicked my ass, um, but but it was great. And Sergey's a great guy. Um, but yeah, so that was the final episode of Waking Infinity, which is all on Gaia. Everything I've done is is on Gaia. And everything except Waking Infinity, my three full-length films are all free on YouTube as well. So, um, so that's that's the whole story of the the stuff that I've made up till now, uh, and then that leads me to basically that's what got me my production gig at Gaia. And so, um, my first the first thing that they offered me was a project on psychedelics. So therein lies this conversation we're having right now is this uh, show that we're putting on called Psychedelica. 30-minute episodes will be an ongoing series all about psychedelics, the whole all the relevant topics around it, how the history of it, the future of it. And um, right now we just handed in episode one, and the, the first season has already been filmed. Really, really good guests that we had on there. And um, and we're looking at, you know, driving it forward into the future. Uh, it's a big, booming topic for sure. And do you have any uh, favorite episodes you're really looking forward to produce for this first season? Yeah, it's, it's hard to pick a favorite. Um, 
the final episode, there's 13 episodes in a season, so the final episode is called Psychedelic Society. And that's really a futuristic look at, let's say, if some of the uh, the stereotypes or the stigmas of psychedelics were to quell a little bit and people were not to look at them as, as such a ridiculously hot topic, but kind of just put it into perspective. There's there's more dangerous stuff, you know, that you'll find on the counter at Walgreens, you know. Um, and so psychedelics, uh, the future of them, what we're looking at is, Let's say if we were to responsibly integrate them into society, what would society look like? How would uh, healthcare change if they adopted some of the same tenets, like set and setting? And um, our mutual friend Dan McQueen likes to add skill at the end of there. Um, so, what would healthcare look like in that respect? What would architecture look like? What would business and economy start looking like? Uh, how would uh, ecological movement start really um, stepping up? Because a lot of the guests that I've gotten for this show say that that's one of the things that they, if they had to put their opinion on why are psychedelics here, like it, if they are communicating, what is the, the common denominator that it seems to be communicating? And a lot of them were answering, well, it seems like there's some social connective property that seems to happen. There's, there's this social quality of it and also ecological. There's this greater understanding that we are a part of this great web of life. We're not just some isolated entity among other isolated entities and, you know, the, the connection is all in our head. Is that what it felt like for you as you first started exploring psychedelics? Yeah, psychedelics, I got, in, I got into it when I was like 14, uh, so that was actually, it was great. It was very eye-opening, and it was what kept me off the uh, the narcotics, really, is what kept me out of coke and heroin, because that was really, really prevalent in my high school. So, um, so yeah, psychedelics for me, what I started noticing was as soon as I took mushrooms for the first time in, at the age of 14, I realized there was this expansive quality to it. Uh, it opened me up to the fact that there's more out there. And I, I wasn't eloquent enough to be able to verbalize what it was that I was experiencing. But I knew, because I tried cocaine, I tried some other things, I tried pills. None of them really did anything for me that that ever made me feel like, oh, this is my jam, <laughs> you know. But psychedelics, it totally did. And I also respected it because... For me, there's just no way to do it recreationally consistently. It was recreational at that time, but I couldn't do it consistently. A, I couldn't get my hands on it, and B, it was just there was too much for me to process for me to want to go back and do it the very next day and then the very next day. So for me, it it was this kind of quality that allowed me to um, appreciate music in a different way, listen to lyrics in a different way, uh, look at my hands in a different way, you know, all, the, all these things that seem to, to consistently happen. Um, and for me, the only thing that's evolved is how I apply it. So now I'm, I'm really into movement, um, whether that be acro yoga or gymnastics or climbing trees or rock jumping or just crawling around playing with my daughter. I'm into very diverse types of movement and using my body as, as an instrument in a clear channel. And so you'll hear a lot of things like biohacking or human potential and human optimization around that kind of, and, you know, I, I don't put those words to it necessarily. I'm just exploring the, you know, the grace of the body and the beauty of being alive and engaging with the world and engaging with my body. And psychedelics seem to be this really beautiful um, uh, agent that, that opens it up and, and causes for deep moments of reflection 
Um, I do love moving on, moving on psychedelics, but I also love uh, being in my center and, 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 you know, kind of just reflecting and processing the past five, six months or whatever it might be. So what it seems to do is it's an integrative thing. And uh, we interviewed this guy, Michael Winkleman. He's in Brazil, but he was on Neurons to Nirvana. Uh, very well-spoken dude. And he, he calls them psychointegrators. And he actually talks about how there's the, you know, the, the triune brain. You'll have the, uh, the primal reptilian and the mammalian, and then you have the neocortex. Um, and what he says that happens is uh, under the influence of psychedelics, you get this loop that goes from the brain stem all the way to the neocortex and back down. And the communication that starts happening causes for integration in a way that doesn't normally happen in, in our default mode. So he calls them psychointegrators, and I, I realized that that was already, that was just a better name than what I was already experiencing because whatever I'm into, whatever catches my creativity and my inspiration, um, this integrates it and shows me that all of that is a, a sign or a signal towards my greater purpose. And I, I can't put words around whatever my greater purpose is. I just know when I'm riding that wave and I know when I fall off the board. And so that's, that's, that's the coolest thing that psychedelics has done for me is it's allowed for me to understand how to truly integrate these things that I'll read in books or watch in a documentary or hear or do and feel, and you know, whether it be all the way from lovemaking to cooking to just taking you know, a, a brisk walk to very intense uh, mental work that I do at work now to, to the intense movement that I do, integrating it and showing that there's, there's many different facets to me and who I am that are all working together. There's just an ebb and flow between the intense and the less intense and the this and the that. And these psychedelics really help me integrate that into, um, into processing it all into an actual purpose and a trajectory for me. Wow. And hearing about that triune brain, it, it sounds so much like what the Christian, Christian mystics think about the priestess card in the tarot, that it is, that's part of what that card is there for us to learn from, is that integration process of these three selves, you know, at least three that we have floating around inside ourselves. That's interesting. I, I actually never heard that, uh, but I'm, I'm super into the tarot. The, the Hanged Man card has always caught me, and actually the, the last album of my band, uh, Hyrosonic, we did an album called Consciousness, Fame, God, Money, Power, and there's a modern version of the Hanged Man right on the front of it. Because I always liked it, and it kind of also ties back into the psychedelics thing. Uh, the Hanged Man, for me, is always represented. Um, so he's hanging upside down. He's seeing the world exactly opposite. All of the change in his pocket falls away to the earth. So the value that he used to place on things in the world is no longer there. He's getting a fresh new look. And that's all he can do. He's suspended there. He's in a sense kind of paralyzed in a moment where he, he can only just view the world. He or she can only just view the world in new ways with new eyes. And psychedelics seem to do just that. They, they allow you to see things in a new way. And under that influence, you're kind of suspended there, you know, unless you, you know, take something to kind of like lessen the, uh, the intensity of it. I think salt can do that for ayahuasca maybe can can uh, lower the intensity of it i know cbd can do that uh as well it can kind of have that effect but um but the whole back to the whole tarot card the the hanged man that's something i guess that was a part the reason why i really felt that that was important for me is because uh whether it's because i'm a capricorn or just because my dad was in the military or whatever it might be i'm really into my patterns you know where uh 
I can get into a groove and into a pattern, and that's where I get stuff done. I materialize all of my dreams very easily, but I'm also I can get very rigid and kind of stuck in my own patterns and uh, psychedelics, and also that card. They help remind me that all of these are decisions, and these patterns are. They're, they're still there and they're deeply ingrained, but they're deeply ingrained because I keep reinforcing them. So psychedelics, they definitely broaden it and, uh, and they've given me that, um, that kind of vision to see that I can be whatever. I am, you know, as a clear vessel, I can re- respond to life and respond to my loved ones and, you know, and others in any way that I choose. And the way that I typically choose, I'm not, I'm not, imprisoned by how I've reacted in the past. So that to me, that, that's been the most interesting thing about the psychedelics and that card specifically is, is how it opens up new ways of looking at the world. Never a bad thing to be upside down for a little while. <laughs> Touche. It's good for the back, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and a question, a uh, pure personal curiosity, as a, as a new father and, and a psychedelic parent, and as someone who started psychedelics at 14 without, you know, without too much damage, do you have any thoughts yet about what it's going to be like as your little girl grows older and gets curious about these, these things? Yeah, so uh, Barbara, my wife, and I have talked about this quite a bit. Um, in the womb, Laura had ayahuasca three times. Now, you know, uh, for one, that's, uh, if, if you go down into South America, that's not a weird thing. That's actually a very common thing. Um, but she also, just to be safe, um, would only take a very little bit. And also after she was born, you know, dipping the pinky finger in some ayahuasca and rubbing it on her gums. So Ana Laura's had, uh, probably more ayahuasca than, than most people, you know, four or five times in very small doses. Um, but with that being said, we've talked about this, you know, as, as she grows older, how are we going to introduce her to that? And we'll definitely, there's no shame in it. So that's the first thing is she's, she's going to know that it's an integral part of our lives because there's no shame. It's, it's a very spiritual, sacred thing that we hold in our lives. Ayahuasca may have saved my life as well as Barbara's life uh, in many ways, uh, opened us up in, in very many ways. So that's something that Ana Laura will know about us. She will know that it's it's not just taking the substance either it's it's the way that we do it together it's it's the sacred way it's the bringing together um of people the intention behind it so whether it be cannabis ayahuasca psilocybin uh dmt down the road you know in a very small and very um responsible way at a point in time where we feel it's responsible enough not just with just the substances themselves but also we're very aware of the fact uh, that we have a community around us and the community, we try and respect the fact that they have different ways of looking at it and also respect the fact that, you know, if we're irresponsible with how open we are about it and some people don't like that, um, there there is this thing called uh, child uh, protective services and social services or whatever it might be. So we're very aware of that. But mainly for, for Ana Laura's, opening and awakening and coming to age, um, she's going to know about it. And we're going to demystify all of the, the propaganda and all the stigmas 
uh, that are out there about psychedelics. But we're also, as we were talking about beforehand, of course, as with anything, as with drinking water, there are harms if you overdo it. Um, so with that, we're going to wait until we know that she is able to handle it. And then just a very little bit will allow for a safe space. Um, that may not be until she's 16, 18, 20, whatever. We're going to do more research about that. So it's, it's down the line. She's only two now, but, um, but for, as being a psychedelic parent, yes, we, we've talked about that and we want that to be a very, uh, special part of her life and something that she doesn't have skewed understanding of. Something that Jonathan Thompson of Psychedelic Parenting recently said to me, helped me a lot. He said with his children, he's taking advice from Allison Gray. And her idea was that you give kids the information they ask for, but you don't give any more. And he interpreted that as saying, if they ask the question, they're ready to know the answer, but you don't need to keep going and explain more than they ask for. And that's true for many adult things from sexuality to violence and the darkness of the world and and to drugs as well and i thought that was a really nice way of really trusting your child and being give them just enough not too much but enough that's a really good point i'm glad you bring that up um that's that's really good food for thought um that's true when a question comes about it's it's it means that they're ready to hear an answer and you know a lot of the times i realize that She's so much, as, even at two years old, she's so much more intelligent than I give her credit for. Like she gets when I'm in a mood or when something's off, she gets it. And she'll come up and even tug on your clothes and look you in the eyes and kind of, in a sense, call you on it. And, you know, in a very sweet, loving two-year-old way, she'll call you on it. So, so that's a really good way to, to think about it. But also the, the no more than is necessary. Like answer the question, don't answer every question. Um, because there, there's got to be some kind of, you know, their intuitive uh, spark that causes them to ask a question. They're looking for something. And I also noticed that uh, words are very powerful, especially when it comes to kids. You know, even a small sentence, they can mull it over for a long time. I remember little, little bits of wisdom that my parents gave me when I was younger, real young, that I didn't actually unfold or unpack until 20, 30 years later, something like that. And so it still stuck around, but it was like a seed that is just, you know, hadn't, hadn't been fed or watered. But eventually when I was ready, it just popped back into my mind, sometimes even in a dream, and then would come up and I would start mulling it over, almost like a little parable in the Tao Te Ching or something that you just go over and over. And then eventually you're like, ah, the point of it is, is not to be in, in this realm of thinking and try and fit it together in that way, but to open it up. That's what I've always liked about questions. Quest. You're questing for knowledge. You know, so it sends you on this quest. And in that, um, whenever we're on a quest for something, our attention is seeking and calling in information so we can use that primal intelligence to piece it together in our knowing. Like, because there's some kind of intelligence that we have that just knows when it hears the thing it needs to hear to then put the pieces together and move forward from that point. And uh, as as a movement trainer, I also noticed that, you know, like you'll be in one tree about to jump into another tree, grab another branch, and you can overanalyze it all you want. But if there was a lion chasing you or like a big angry gorilla chasing you, you'd make that jump. You'd, your body would know exactly how to do it. You wouldn't have to think about it at all. And that's the intelligence that I think that 
once you quest after knowledge and you hear a bit of information or you feel it or you piece it together somehow in the right way, you know it. There's, there's no question about it. That's another thing about psychedelics that I – and parenting, which is a psychedelic trip on its own that oh. I love. <laughs> All the old heads uh, have been telling me, son, now the real trip begins. Yeah. Which is nice. Um, so for your quest with Psychedelica – what are the aspects of this that you're most excited to delve into? And maybe if there's any more esoteric sources you might be looking for. I know we have a lot of listeners with a lot of intriguing, very individualistic angles on this stuff. And maybe there might be someone out there who might want to reach out to you. Yeah, well, so with the show Psychedelica, you know, the, the first season has a ton, of, a ton of really good episodes. Like we start off with just the story, psychedelic story, and then set setting and skill and then shamanic roots, and then ayahuasca, cannabis, DMT, psilocybin, cacti medicine, then the shadow side, then the current climate, which is uh, basically the past 100 years in psychedelics, then therapeutic application, then reintegration after peak experience. How do you come home fully? How do you go back to a land where all of your patterns and those things are integrated there? You know, calling upon your old self when you want this new self to emerge, and then psychedelic society. Um, so, all these types of topics, I sat down with a guy, Dan McQueen, which we both know from Medicinal Mindfulness, uh, as well as Kimba Aram. She does uh, really, um, really good didgeridoo and, and other great music. She's done all the Psychedelic Shine events, she'll do music before Psychedelic Shine events. Um, and we sat down and we we're really just talking about. You know, what's going to make this a relevant show is talking to the communities as much as possible and seeing what are the relevant topics that are coming to us because we can direct it if we want. We can say, oh, this is what we think people will want to hear, but really we want to hear from the people to school us, to tell us, like, what is – what is nobody talking about that needs to be talked about? What's very important about harm reduction that most people aren't talking about? We, we briefly touched upon this. But what are the topics that need to be touched upon that nobody else is touching, especially in the media realm? Because um, I think Vice has uh, – they, they kind of touch upon um, some psychedelics in their show. Uh, there must be, it's, it's blowing up here and there. Uh, my friends at Collective Evolution, they're touching base on that. Um, and it's, it's a growing field, but as it's a growing field, the, the best thing to do is show a nice, well-rounded, um, kind of, uh, exposure to the topic. What are the relevant topics? What are the dangers? What are the, the things that we could do to make sure that we're using them responsibly? What's the most optimal way to use it to, to really reach into all the other parts of our lives? So I guess what we're looking for, you know, if I were to distill it down, is we're looking for a dialogue with the community. So my intention is once we get this website, because we will have, I think it's psychedelica.com, maybe psychedelica.net, I'm not sure. Um, but once we get the website up and running, we want there to be a platform for the entire community, you know, uh, all inclusive to give their comments and their feedback on the show. Um, you can do that on Gaia on the comments there as well, um, right on each episode, whatever your comments might be, but also show us what we're missing, you know, what we're lacking, what are the topics that we're not hitting. And if we tried to hit it, but we missed, um, show us how to hit that, um, that nail, you know, right on the head. So 
it's mainly about the connection and networking, which to me is, is that's the future of everything online and the future of you know connecting with your community. It's really bringing that integration back. So we want to hear from as many people as possible. What do you think is the most relevant thing we could be talking about? That sounds excellent. Uh, I I encourage everybody to to check out this this moving project. It sounds really exciting. A place that uh, the community will get to share more. So I think I might leave you with the the last question: the the uh, the castle in the sky. If if we had a major film studio with huge budgets and a big distribution network, and they came to you and said, "We want to fund your next big project," what would you want to do the most with that kind of scope? So this is any any topic. All right, we got um, it. The Psychedelic Salon 2.0 has a couple million invisible dollars for you to do whatever project you want to do. Well, for me, um, I already know what this is, and it, it was part of the interview that brought me to Gaia. So it started off with my movement training, and then also Wim Hof breathing uh, breath training, which I've I've met and interviewed him. Um, also organizing and focusing the mind. There's a guy named David Allen who has this book called Getting Things Done, A Stress-Free Guide to Productivity. Super, super uh, good stuff. But it's basically just the optimization of the human potential. So I'll start with David Allen, whereas he, he talks about the mind as a dojo. And so he has this whole outer system of lists of um, someday maybe I, w- I want to do these things, so I'll, I'll list it. Having a calendar for things that are time-specific. Having a next action, like a project list of all the projects that we currently have, and then next actions, because there's only one next action on all our projects. So it's this whole outer system that we can see with our eyes. It's outside of our head, so we can refer to that, but when we're done referring to that, and once we get to the point where we trust this outer system, the mind can actually relax, because you know that it will keep you in line but only one thing should your mind be focusing on at any given time like a dojo so for me that's a part of human optimization but also breathing and posture so you hear a lot about you know breathe uninhibitedly all the spiritual practices but there's something about posture like the standard kyphosis which is the slouching you know in your chest kind of just caving in and, and sitting on top of your your organs that cuts off 30% of your oxygen consumption. So the more you actually sit or stand with proper posture, the more you can breathe uninhibitedly, which connects with your nervous system and actually allows for an open channel in the entire body. And then with movement training through the woods and very dynamic, lush types of movement, you're sending information from nature through your ankle and your wrists and, and all your entire body to your brain so your brain can cause mental maps. So long story short, what I'm getting at is all of this is is all-inclusive and integrative of optimizing our human potential towards anything. No matter what we want to use that for, you're creating your body and your mind as a clear channel to be able to use in those higher realms like art and the, the creative realms, the higher languages like music, which is one of my favorite things in the world. So... What's the best way to move forward with this in the world? And that's the younger generations. After I'd made conspiracy documentaries, people were like, how long is it going to take for people to wake up? And my answer is always the same. One generation. That's it. If we can reach the younger generations in the right way, but what is the right way? So that's the dialogue. Again, I don't 
assume that I have the answer, but opening that dialogue and getting people putting their attention in that realm consistently, new topics, constantly bringing that up. What is a better educational system? What is a better way to, uh, to rear our children into the future who will eventually become the leaders that are, that are taking the reins of this boat, you know, you know, like steering the yoke of this boat into the future? Are we going to fall off the edge of the earth or, you know, what hopefully. are we? Yeah, <laughs> hopefully into that great abyss. But um, that's what it is. For me, it's an educational system, but that's, that's too small of a way to say it. It's reaching the younger, uh, younger people, educating them in, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of years of, of standing upright and moving through nature. And now 10, 12 hours a day, we're sitting constantly. Evolution didn't prepare us for that, nor did it prepare us for the diets that we have today. But we can make it through it, but the conversation needs to be had. So... That's my answer. The, the long story short, what would that project be? It would be human optimization in all of its glory, which has to do physical, has to do mental, emotional, and spiritual. So yoking the wisdom of the elders to the energy of the youth. Yes. Moving forward. Well, Ben, this has been a wonderful conversation, and I, I encourage everyone to stay in touch and to follow this wonderful project. I'm looking forward to see where it's going. Yeah. I'll just quick throw a plug out there. Uh, my website is talismonicidols.net. And I'll spell that out real quick because most people are like, what? It's T-A-L-I-S-M-A-N-I-C-I-D-O-L-S dot net. And I'm pretty sure you'll have show notes or something. And we'll put everything in the episode notes and any other stuff that you feel like uh, might be good for people to share. Sweet. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Lex. Thank you, Ben. Until next time. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Psychedelic Salon 2.0. To help us out, you can leave a review or rating on your favorite podcast service or share an episode with a friend. It really does make a difference. And to follow along with everything else we're working on, check out patreon.com slash nonsense.